Welcome to the On Parliament podcast, where we help spread the word on Parliament. Today, we're back with another historical episode. You know, I have a soft spot for our history episodes. <laughs> well, I'd be surprised if you didn't, David, especially since you're considered to be the unofficial historian in our branch. You got me there, Aaron. I have been called the resident historian on occasion and sometimes quite historic. <laughs> no, not historic. <laughs> and today's episode should be right up your alley because you are the historian. Looking forward to it. Well, you know the drill by now. It wouldn't feel like one of our episodes if we didn't start off with a game. Uh, I think your real goal is to try to stump me every month. <laughs> no, that's just a fun perk of the job. But for today's game, I thought we would play Name That Premier. Oh, sounds daunting. How does this crazy game of yours work this time? Well, I'm going to give you a description of one of Ontario's historical premiers, and you're going to have to tell me which premier I'm describing. I swear your games keep getting harder on purpose. Maybe, but enough chit-chat. Let's get on to the game. All right, what's the first question? This premier was elected in the riding of Victoria and served for just over three terms. He was an avid history buff, served in the army during the First World War, and his nickname was the Silver Fox. Name that premier. Hmm. You know, I thought you had uh, stumped me, but you gave it away with your last clue. I'm going to go with Leslie Frost, Ontario's 16th premier. Correct. I guess I'll just have to make the next one even harder then. Oh. So here we go. Representing the electoral district of Sault Ste. Marie, this premier was the first to be elected from a northern riding and has a town and street named after him. I actually do know this one, Aaron, because oh. I know of the town. You must be referring to William Howard Hurst, Ontario's seventh premier. Correct again. You know, I don't think I'm going to be able to stump you this time around, but I do have one more question. So are you ready? Bring it on, Aaron. <laughs> okay, well, you asked for it. Name the premier who later became Lieutenant Governor of Ontario and who appears in an episode of the beloved Canadian television show, Murdoch Mysteries. I think you made that one easy on purpose. It's Sir Oliver Mowat, Ontario's third premier and eighth Lieutenant Governor, of course. <laughs> Well, I couldn't stump you today, David. You got all of them right. Nicely done. Thanks, Aaron. But you know, I think I figured out our theme for today. Does it have to do with the name of another former premier and the names of some of the buildings surrounding the main legislative building? <laughs> Indeed it does, David. Today we're going to be talking about the Whitney Block. Its history, how it came to be, some of its materials, and of course, its namesake. The Whitney Block is located across the street from the legislative building on the the east side of Queen's Park Crescent. It spans from Wellesley Street on the north to Grosvenor Street on the south. What many people don't realize is that the first few floors of the Whitney Block actually make up part of the legislative precinct, which means that they're a part of the legislative building in terms of services and upkeep. Exactly right, Aaron. The upper floors house some of the offices of different ministries and employees of the Ontario Public Service. But the first three floors are home to various branches with in the assembly, like human resources, procedural services, and legislative research. It might seem a little strange to have some of these branches across the street, but it comes down to an issue of space. 
And this isn't exactly a new issue for the Legislative Assembly either. Too true, Aaron. As far back as the 1920s, they were running out of space in the main building. So in 1923, the province acquired the land that today houses the Whitney Block, specifically as a site to hold a new expansion building for the legislature. The building project was overseen by Francis Heeks, the provincial architect at the time, as well as George Henry, the Minister of Highways and Public Works. Fun fact... Francis Heeks occupied the role of provincial architect for 35 years and oversaw the construction of the mining building at the University of Toronto, the Superior Court of Justice in Thunder Bay, as well as the now-gone Government House, or Chorley Park, the former official residence of the Lieutenant Governor. The design for the new East Block, as the structure was being called, was quite innovative as it was designed in such a way that additions and expansions could be added seamlessly should the need arise. The the building was constructed with three wings running east-west, connected by a hallway running north-south. Because of its placement within the site, there was actually enough space to duplicate the east-west wings, if necessary, to ultimately have six wings of almost identical office space. Construction began in 1925, with Minister George Henry laying the cornerstone on July 30th of that same year. Fun fact, George Henry later became the 10th Premier of Ontario, but while still a minister, he began a roadwork project that would later become the QEW Highway, or Queen Elizabeth Way, connecting Niagara Falls to Toronto. He also featured the East Block in his Premier's portrait that hangs in the main legislative building. The 1920s saw a steep decline in employment rates leading up to the Great Depression. The East Block construction project provided a great opportunity for the province to create more jobs, while keeping materials and labor local. The foundation of the building was dug by hand by day laborers, and the government prioritized Ontario materials whenever possible, most notably in the stonework. The Gothic Art Deco style of the building favored a smooth cut lighter stone for the exterior, but it had to be a soft enough stone to allow for intricate hand-carved designs. They eventually settled on Queenston Blue Dolomite, or limestone, since it was claimed to have the durability of granite and the workability of limestone. Fun fact, it's called Queenston Blue because the stone has a distinctive bluish cast when it's freshly quarried, although it turns grey after being weathered by the elements. The East Block was the first instance where Queenston limestone had been used with a smooth surface. In the past, it had only ever been used with a rough-hewn look, but the architects seemed pleased with its durability and texture to allow cleaner cutting and the ability to have finer details in the decorative carvings. Not to be outdone by the exterior, the interior of the building also had to be made of an Ontario stone of equal quality. After much searching, they settled on marble mined in Bancroft, Ontario for the interior hallways. But there was one small problem. <laughs> The quarries in Bancroft had been closed for many, many years, so what to do? Why, open the quarries up again, of course. <laughs> of course. Keep in mind that isn't a small task. Uh, the quarries had been filled up with water by then, so the first thing they had to do was empty it all out. Then they had to build a whole new plant and bring in the proper machinery to actually excavate the marble. While there are many different colors of marble found in the Bancroft area, they were only interested in the light gray colored pieces. 
Fun fact, the federal parliament buildings in Ottawa also contain Bancroft marble. Last but not least, we have Ontario granite, mined in Coe Hill, a hamlet near Bancroft. As if two different stones weren't enough, the architects chose to use granite for the steps leading up to the exterior doors of the East Block. Although not as evident today, there was also a lot of decorative wooden features inside the building. These were made primarily from yellow birch and included cabinetry, desks, and even a now-extinct bowling alley in the basement. (laughs) How cool would that have been to see? A full-size bowling alley right here at Queen's Park? I mean, come on. It's a strike. (laughs) It certainly is one of the more interesting curiosities to have been built here over the years. That's for sure. And when the first phase of the building was completed in 1928, it also included an underground tunnel that connected it to the legislative building across the street. In addition to all of the wood and stone, the cement, gravel, and other filler materials were all manufactured in the province too. It's estimated that about 99% of the materials within the East Block were actually produced within the province of Ontario. Hmm, 99%? Then where did that leftover 1% of the material come from? (laughs) Well, I had a feeling you might ask that, David. (laughs) And actually, the remaining material was sourced from Montreal Quebec and was primarily linoleum used in the floors. Aha, well, at least it was still Canadian. The project stayed within its allotted time frame, and within a few years, Cabinet had approved an expansion. Unfortunately, Francis Heeks, the architect, passed away in 1930 and never saw the completion of the building. But the new provincial architect, George White, quickly took over. George White is credited with having integrated a new wing with a 16-story tower to the building, an element that was never in Heeks' original plans. The tower was meant to add even more much-needed office space for the ever-growing government departments that, unfortunately, no longer fit inside the main legislative building. Fun fact, when it was constructed, the East Block was the province's first purpose-built structure meant to house government departments. The great irony, though, is that the tower has been empty since 1968, as the design doesn't allow for enough fire exits. Despite the tower not being functional, the carvings that adorn its facade are very impressive. There are four eight-foot allegorical statues of justice, tolerance, wisdom, and power— the cardinal virtues that anchor the corners at the top of the building. Eight more figures are found around a lower tier, each representing a different government department housed within the building, like mining and forestry. They were all sculpted by Canadian artist Charles Adamson. The 1950s saw the government making plans to complete the remaining wings on the East Block. They bought and demolished two Victorian houses adjacent to the site in anticipation of the construction. The new plans were drawn up in November of 1958 and show a new hybrid look to the building. George N. Williams, the new, new provincial architect, had planned for the lower floors to match Heeks' original design, but had included more modern architectural elements on the middle floors to complement the post-war aesthetics appearing throughout the city of Toronto at the time. Spandrels, the decorative corner spaces on the outside of the arched windows, made of fluted stainless steel along with a curving annex to connect the east block with the newly constructed Frost Building, were planned for the expansion. But... It never happened. By the 1960s, the government had realized that even with the planned expansion of the East Block, there would never be enough space for all of the newly appearing ministries and offices within the Ontario Public Service. 
As a result, they scrapped the idea for the final expansion of the East Block and instead created a really lovely park in its place. The massive McDonald Block complex was conceived soon after and built throughout the 1960s. Today, although currently under refurbishment, it remains home to many of the individuals who work within the Ontario Public Service. Now, we started out this episode by talking about the Whitney Block, but then spent the entire time telling you all about the East Block instead. So what gives? Well, they're one and the same. The East Block was the original name given to the structure that we now know as the Whitney Block. It was called the East Block all the way up until 1966, when the name of the building was officially changed to the Whitney Block. It was about time, too, since the building had been called the Whitney Block by most of the folks who worked there and by much of the population at the time of its construction, so-called after Ontario's sixth premier. Sir James Pliny Whitney was premier from 1905 to 1914. He was quite popular at the time and had died tragically in office after winning his fourth term as premier. Fun fact, Premier Whitney is the only premier to have died in office in Ontario and is only one of four individuals to have lain in state at the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Today, the name Sir James Whitney may not mean as much to most people, but the Whitney block that bears his name still houses the offices of many of the ministers who walk the halls of Queen's Park. Despite it never being fully completed, the Whitney block remains an integral part of Ontario's legislative precinct. Without it, the many staff and members wouldn't be able to complete their jobs to help keep Ontario's parliament running. I think that about wraps up the episode for today, don't you think, Erin? I think this episode was a towering achievement, just like the Whitney (laughs) block tower. I'd say so, David. We certainly went on quite a journey, too, through the history of the East Block, its materials, even the tower, and its purpose today. That means that all we have left to do is count our fun facts for today. Your favorite part of every episode, Mm -hmm. I know, David. And today, we had a grand total of six fun facts. Tune in next time to learn more fun facts about Ontario's Parliament. Thanks for listening to the On Parliament podcast, where we help spread the word On Parliament. But we've got to go. I think I hear the bells. Bye for now. The On Parliament podcast is produced by Parliamentary Protocol and Public Relations for the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Social media by Parliamentary Protocol and Public Relations for the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Additional research provided by the Table Research Office for the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the podcast by sharing it with others and subscribing. For more fun facts about Ontario's Parliament, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at onparleducation. Et en français, p a r l o n education. Thanks again and see you next time.